Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of Top of the Hill. My name's Logan Hill, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tyler Kirk. And we're just, we're pretty, pretty big sports fans, so we got a lot of NFL action to go over, a lot of NBA preseason, and tons of college sports. But before we get to that, I figured it'd be best to introduce myself a little bit. Um, I'm a third-year student at the University of Maryland. I'm a huge Ravens fan, huge Lakers fan, and I like the Orioles sometimes when baseball is cool, whatever. Um, I'm a journalism student, so I'm trying to make this my career and figure what, a, what better way to start than with a podcast like everybody else. So I'm going to let Tyler talk a little bit about himself now before we get going. So I'm Tyler. I'm a uh, third-year student in Towson University, sports management major. I like the Washington football team, and I'm a LeBron guy, so you already know that. Um, yeah, that's about it. It's a pleasure, Logan. Yeah, so let's get right into it. We're going to go straight into some NFL action. We're going to recap some games from this weekend, the ones that we picked out as probably some of the most exciting ones. So getting right into the NFL action, probably the most exciting game from Week 14, Ravens-Browns. Baltimore Ravens trying to get back into the playoff picture. The Browns in the playoff picture for the first time in who knows how long. It was a hotly contested division matchup, and I think that you – Fans got everything and more that they expected from it. I mean, Lamar was the Lamar from 2019. I've heard people say that Baker played probably the best game that they've ever seen him play, which is a lot to say about a losing effort. So just, I guess, getting right into it, what was, what was probably your biggest takeaway from the game? My takeaway was the Browns might finally be legit. And that's a tough thing to say, especially for a lot of people and Ravens fans, but... I think they played a great game. Um, honestly, the one, the worst play and the only bad play probably that Baker made was that pick that was nearly pick six by um, Fort. But um, Browns played great, and Lamar coming out of that tunnel after he looked like Paul Pierce and looked like Superman coming out of that tunnel. But. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, basically, if you didn't if you didn't watch the game, you've probably seen the highlights by now. Lamar tore it up with his legs in the first half. And then in the second half, he went out because he had cramps. Cramps. Everybody everybody saw the little run he did to the tunnel, and everybody's like, yeah, he had to go to the bathroom. Um, But anyways, yeah, it was was a great game. I was was at work while the game was happening, but I was able to catch bits and pieces, and it was back and forth. Nick Chubb scored to go up 7-0 on the, the Ravens early, and I was like, Oh, man, this doesn't look good. But then the Ravens came right back and scored to make it 7-7, leading 21-14 at halftime and then going up 28-14 early, early in the third. I was like, the Ravens might run away with this one. Of course, the Browns came back. Lamar exited for a little bit. They kind of got back into it. And then just to come back out after McSworley got hurt and throw that pass to Hollywood on fourth and five, that was electric, and like I said earlier, that's the 2019 Ravens in a nutshell, the big explosive plays, the fun stuff. But I think it really said a lot about who the Browns are this year in the way that they were able to come back after that touchdown and just really go right down the field in almost under a minute and just tie it up. I think that it also showed about a lot about Lamar and how they came back down the field to set up Tucker's game-winning field goal attempt. And I know you bet on the Browns, and that, that safety at the end probably really hurt you. Yes, it did. <laughs> that was tough for a lot of betters. But, yeah, you got hand to it. And Justin Tucker is a goat. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he's just – he's insane. 
Yeah, and that game, 47-42, that was Scorigami. I love Scorigami, uh-huh. so that's always awesome. And, yeah, I don't know. I think it was just AFC North football in a nutshell. It's crazy to think that that game was what it was, and neither of those teams are leading the division because, of course, the Steelers jumping out to 11 straight wins, 11-2 and two now. People won't give the AFC North the credit it's due, but I'll say year in and year out it is the best division in football and stand by that stance. I mean, of course, people are going to say, like, oh, the NFC West, but they're good. They're up and down. The Seahawks are kind of good every year. The Rams have been consistent now, but year in and year out, Steelers, Ravens, and now potentially the Browns for the foreseeable future. So I think there's a lot to be excited about in the AFC North if you're a fan of one of those teams. So, yeah, the Ravens, I mean, obviously still need that help to get back into the playoff picture. they got to probably win out. And with their remaining schedule, they play the Jags, the Giants, and the Joe Burrow-less Bengals. It's not out of the reality that they went out, but the fact that they could still miss the playoffs and went out, that's just how good the AFC is at football this year. And speaking of the AFC, the next game we're going to talk about is, of course, the Dolphins and the Chiefs. And the Chiefs, cream of the crop of the AFC, really good. Patrick Mahomes, best player in the NFL at this point. But the Dolphins gave them a game for most of the game. So, I mean, they in the first quarter, the Chiefs didn't even look like the Chiefs. Mahomes had two interceptions, and the Dolphins, I'm pretty sure after one it was 10-0. to So it kind of looked like maybe it was an upset brewing, but of course the Chiefs came back and did the things that the Chiefs do, climbed back into it. Um, what takeaways did you have from that one? Um, honestly, I mean, we've seen all year the Dolphins have been a really good team, but I think this honestly just – put them over the edge right there. I mean, even though they lost and, but I mean, they came back from down 30 to 10 in the fourth quarter. I mean, and that defense, they had more interceptions on Patrick Mahomes that game than he would had in the previous 12, 13 games, which is saying a lot. Um, even though two of them were off the tip passes, but I mean, you got to hand to them. They played their hearts out and they have a rookie quarterback too. So, I mean, Dolphins might be the next, you know, really good team in the AFC. Absolutely. And with that defense playing the way it is under Brian Flores, like how could you not see them becoming one of the top dogs, especially them and the bills, both, especially this year have looked really good. And it helps the fact that the Patriots aren't what the Patriots have been for the last 20 years with all the change that they've got going on. It would be cool to see the AFC East change for like the next five years see what it could be, see if the Bills really do become a top dog, see if the Dolphins can become a perennial playoff team. One thing that I think is important to note about the Chiefs is that they won that game not because of Patrick Mahomes, but because of the team around him. I mean, the defense got a safety. McCole Hardman took a punt return back for a touchdown. So it's when your best players aren't having their best days, to be able to get those kind of contributions across the board, that's what winning football teams and winning organizations do. So I think that's that. this is going to end up being a big game for both sides. Maybe more for the Chiefs to show him, like, we can do this even when our guy's not firing on all cylinders because he's going to figure it out. Nobody can stop him, really, and he's shown that year in and year out now for the last couple of years. And it's just, you're right, like, the Dolphins, too, is a young quarterback, and he's only going to keep getting better. I, I want to point out their receivers, I mean, being a Ravens fan, like, we can talk about receivers all day. <laughs> Ours don't look that good lately. Nope. Haven't looked good in a while. The Dolphins had some guys. Um, Lynn Bowden Jr., the guy from Kentucky who played quarterback and then came into the NFL and he's a receiver. He didn't make that many highlight plays, but you could just tell he wants the football. 
And when you can see a guy that wants the football, like the, the, the Dolphins had three or four of those guys on Sunday that just wanted the football, and that's always going to bode well for you in the passing game and as an offense as a whole. I mean, they have injuries at running back. If they had a solid running game, who knows? Maybe they win that game. Maybe they continue to pull away from the Chiefs. But you can't bet against the Chiefs until it actually happens because just looking at last year's playoffs, they spotted leads to both the teams they faced and just were like, okay, whatever. Came back, won the games, won the Super Bowl in the end. So I don't know. Um, Talking about young quarterbacks, matchup between two young quarterbacks, the Cardinals and the Giants, and I got to say, the Giants came in on that four-game winning streak and just basically laid an egg in this one. I mean, you had to think that the Cardinals were going to get out of their little skid they were in after they were playing so well. They kind of did, kind of didn't. Kind of was just a combination of the Cardinals playing okay football and taking advantage of opportunities and the Giants not having an offense on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. Uh, the Giants, you know, if they win out, obviously they win the NFC East because everyone knows how bad that division is this year. Um, and to come in there and only score seven points is really sad. That defense was playing really good against the Cardinals, especially in the first half. But, I mean, there comes a point in time where your offense has to produce for, you know, to give your defense a break on the sideline every now and then. But um, the Cardinals still haven't looked like, how they did in the beginning of the season. So we aren't going to know if that was their peak or not yet. Um, but they definitely have a lot of young players who are going to develop. I mean, Kyler Murray is special. But on the other side of the Giants, um, you know, who knows if you put Cole, even though Daniel Jones, he didn't throw any interceptions, but he did have a fumble. I think they returned a touchdown on that. But, I mean, if you put Colt McCoy in there, who knows, they might win that game. Yeah, um, one thing I think that's important to note with the Giants is that Saquon has not played all season. He's a top five running back in the NFL when he's healthy. He's Saquon Barkley. You know who he is. Maybe he changes some of those running woes. I mean, they have Wayne Gallman. They have Alfred Morris who have been getting the job done. But getting the job done and being a top five running back in the NFL are different things. So I don't know. I've, I've said all season I think the Giants are a good football team. They have a defense and they have – they have a quarterback. Is he the most competent guy at all times? No, probably not. Does he struggle with turnovers? Absolutely. When he's going to be put in the right situations, he's shown that he at least can hang in there and kind of play well. So I don't know. Like you said, the NFC East is kind of just a dumpster fire. Washington can go ahead and win that with the way their defense has been playing. They're kind of rallying around the defense and playing defensive football. I don't know. I think the future is very bright for the Giants. I think when they got their head coach and Joe Judge, everybody was kind of like, there were so many other guys out there that you could have gotten. Why did you go with this guy? But I think regardless of the record, he has shown that he might be the right guy for the job to handle the, the team in the New York market. A lot of things to be excited about if you're a Giants fan. Um, staying in the NFC East, another quarterback, young guy getting his first ever career start and winning it. Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles against the Saints. The Saints, of course, coming in on that nine-game winning streak. Jalen Hurts didn't care about any of that. He came in, commanded the offense, made plays with his legs, threw a touchdown pass. It was also Taysom Hill's first career loss as a starter. I mean, he's only played, what, three or four games. So that's not that interesting, but it is interesting. And the biggest, the biggest story to take away from that is the Eagles now officially have a QB controversy. How do you see them moving forward with it? 
Yeah, it's tough because, you know, they just signed Carson Wentz to that extension, I think, last year. And, you know, it's $34.6 million, you know, against the cap next year. So it's like, I mean, it's going to be really hard to trade him. I mean, you're going to have to trade him to a team that has a lot of cap space. But honestly, I don't know what they do. I think they're either going to cut him. I don't think they trade him, honestly. I think they're either going to cut him, but I don't see that happening either. So I think they're just going to keep him, honestly, as a backup. Um, it's kind of funny because he's going to become the Nick Foles for them. So who knows how that ends up in the future. But um, I don't know. I say they keep him for at least next season while Jalen Hurts most likely starts. And then after that, who knows what's going to happen. But honestly, I think another big part of that game is that the Saints defense let – Miles Sanders rushed for over 100 yards, and that was the first time in like two years that their defense let a 100-yard rusher. So I think that was pretty crazy too, especially with Miles Sanders, how hurt he's been this whole season. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, this isn't going to be the end of the world for the Saints. They lost a little bit of ground to the Packers. That first seed's a little bit more up for grabs now, but they're going to be in the playoffs. They're going to get it figured out. I mean, they're trying to get to the Super Bowl. They've had their woes in recent years in the playoffs. But I think this is a bigger win for the Eagles, obviously, than it is a loss for the Saints. And just getting back to the, the Carson Wentz stuff, you're right. What do you what do? you do? I don't know. I don't have a good answer for you because his cap hit in this year is the highest in the NFL. Next year, if it's not the highest, it's going to be one of the top cap hits. And he hasn't shown me, at least this year, and from what I've seen, a reason why anybody would want to go out and trade for him. The biggest thing that sucks for him is the Eagles did win a Super Bowl while he was the starting quarterback of that team. He didn't play in the Super Bowl because he tore his ACL. So you hear a lot about in the NFL, they talk about when you draft a quarterback and he's your guy, you have that window where you can pay other guys to get to like put a good team around you when your quarterback's on their rookie contract. So they, they did it. They won the Super Bowl with the quarterback on the rookie contract, except he wasn't the one running the show. And now they have another young quarterback on a young deal who's been playing well and been showing flashes that maybe he could be our guy going forward and we could get back into that window. But when you have Carson Wentz and you're paying him all that money, it makes things a whole lot harder. You also can't forget, though, that uh, Carson Wentz, he was going to win the MVP if he didn't hurt himself in week 14 or whatever that was of that year. Um, because he missed the last three games, Tom Brady won it, but he was definitely the clear in the clear lead for MVP that year. And I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, their line, their whole offense has been hurt this year, but they're, they've also lost a couple people in the line. Um, I think in the right situation, Carson Wentz can definitely succeed, but where that is, we'll find out. Yeah, absolutely. And you, and you made a good point. He was playing great football before he got hurt. He was awesome to watch. He was playing phenomenally. He had the Eagles offense running on all cylinders, clicking on all cylinders. But I haven't seen that guy in a while, and that sucks for him. I mean, he got his money. He got his bag. But I'm sure he wishes that he was playing better and that they had a better team around him. And the argument that gets made for him is that he made something out of nothing last year. He didn't have a receiver that had more than 500 yards receiving, and they went back to the playoffs. But when it comes to the NFC East, when it comes to the Eagles, when it comes to the Giants, the Cowboys, and the Washington football team, you have to take making the playoffs at this point with a grain of salt because, especially this year, just for example, six wins can get you there. I wouldn't think anyone would say six wins, a 6-10 and ten season, can be really viewed as a successful season. I mean, sure, you make the playoffs, like, and once you get there, anybody's got a shot. 
winning football is different from making the playoffs. So staying in the state of Pennsylvania, Steelers and Bills, the Bills are legit. They took it to the now 11-2 and two Steelers. And don't get me wrong, the Steelers had their issues after they lost their first game to Washington. They had a bunch of question marks. But I don't think this game was so much about the Steelers not knowing what was going on as maybe the Bills just being that good. Josh Allen, his name's not being brought up that much in the MVP conversation anymore at this point in the season. It was early on in the season. If they went out, I think he's got as good of a shot as Mahomes or as Rodgers. The, the thing for him is he just won't have that narrative behind him that kind of gets shaped for MVPs. But, I mean, you just see him go out there and he commands that Bills offense. He's not afraid to take shots. He's not afraid to try and make plays with his legs. And he's a guy that came out of college out of Wyoming, and he kind of had some question marks about whether or not he could be that guy in the NFL. I think if you're a Bills fan, if you're a fan of the NFL, you have to like what you've seen from him in his short career so far. He came out of that same draft class as guys like Baker, guys like Lamar Jackson. And I think it's those three. I mean, Sam Darnold, of course, is in the dumpster fire. That is the New York Jets. And then Josh Rosen just has not caught a single break as an NFL quarterback to this point in his career. But I think if you're the Bills, you have to be beyond happy with that pick looking at it years in advance now. Um, What do you think? I mean, yeah, you brought up a good point. Coming into the NFL, Josh Allen had a lot of question marks. I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I did not think he was going to be good at all. Um, his He threw a lot of interceptions at Wyoming. And, I mean, yes, he had a huge arm. He still has a huge arm. But, I mean, a lot of quarterbacks, they tend to be drafted because of their size and, you know, arm and all that. But – when they're not as accurate, you know, they tend to always fail in the NFL. But Josh Allen has definitely worked on his accuracy. And, I mean, yeah, like you said, he's top three right now in MVP voting, I think. Um, I mean, he's working his way into, a, you know, top – I think he's probably in top eight QB talk right now in the NFL. Um, yeah, and the Steelers' defense, if you watch, I mean, the whole first half, they were just blitzing him at least two out of the three – you know, or every three plays they were blitzing at least twice, I feel like. And he just stood in there and, you know, made a great throw every single time. Um, and that, that Steelers defense is pretty insane. I mean, they just – in that game, they broke the NFL record for most consecutive games with a sack. I think they beat the um, the Buccaneers with um, Warren Sapp on them. So, I mean, that's a pretty great, you know, stat to hold. Um but, yeah, I, my biggest thing is that, you know, coming off of a loss to the Washington football team, I mean, they're a good team, don't get me wrong, but, I mean, you take a loss like that and then you come in against a very good team in the Bills, and, I mean, in the run game, they didn't even show up at all. I mean, I think James Conner had 10 carries for 18 yards, um, and, and Deontay Johnson, I think he dropped two consecutive passes after dropping, you know, five in the last – two weeks prior to that game. So, I mean, they definitely have a lot of question marks going forward. I mean, how far do you think they can make into the playoffs? The Steelers, uh, who knows at this point? Because I think, yes, the Steelers started 11-0, and but I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that thinks that they're legitimate contenders at this point. They changed their offense midway through, and you made the point about Connor, like only 18 yards or whatever it was. 
But they just abandoned the run from the get-go, it seems like. They're running that short passing offense. And don't get me wrong, they have good receivers. Then they have receivers that kind of do different things, which I think bodes well for that short passing game because if everybody can do something different, you have that many options on the field. I think Eric Ebron has been really, really impressive as a tight end for them. I didn't really expect him to be the guy that he's become for the Steelers. But just going back to to Josh Allen, and then I'll answer the question about the playoffs. I think, and they talk about it all the time in football and in the NFL, about halftime adjustments. And in the first half, the Bills looked like they were going to get beaten up by the Steelers. The Steelers' defense was just going to get to them. And they came out in the second half, and Josh Allen just looked fearless. And I think that's what wound up helping the Bills to pull away and win that football game. But that comes back to the Steelers. They can't, they can't beat the Bills who can they beat? They can't beat the Washington football team. Like, 11 wins, that's awesome. They were on a roll. But teams only get better once you get in the playoffs. And if a team can find your weakness and defeat that great defense and score points, and you can't move the ball on offense, and you can't consistently score touchdowns, I don't think you stay in the postseason for that long. They're going to make it, obviously. If they haven't clinched the division, they probably will here in the next couple of weeks. But it's just – I don't know if you're a Steelers fan, if you're confident that they could go to the Super Bowl and go for that, that seventh title. And going back to the Bills as well, Stephon Diggs, you know, f- former ter- – um, <clears throat> I mean, he's just been amazing. And he's just changed the narrative, I think, on him. Um, when he was on the Vikings, everyone called him a diva. I mean, he was up there with OBJ as, you know, being greedy for winning the ball. But, I mean, on the Bills – Everything I've heard is that he's a great teammate. He wants everyone to succeed. Um, And I think, I mean, he's just taken that team, like, over the hump for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, former Terp, Stephon Diggs, Terp Nation stand up. But (laughs) I think if the the big wide receiver trades in the offseason were, of course, Diggs to the Bills and Hopkins to the Cardinals. And I think you could make an argument that Diggs brings more to this team than Hopkins brings to the Cardinals just because he's come in and been that bona fide, true number one receiver that he said he could be in Minnesota, but because they had Adam Thielen, it was a one-two punch instead of a true number one with a, with a bunch of guys behind him. And I think he's been perfect. I think he's been perfect for Josh Allen, and I think Josh Allen has been perfect for him. I mean, he does everything for the Bills. He catches deep balls. He catches short passes. He gets yards after the catch. I think he's proving that maybe those concerns he had about wanting the ball and things like that might have been warranted because he was the first receiver in the NFL to reach 100 catches this year. So that means he's got good rapport with with Josh Allen. Josh Allen trusts him. And I think he just adds another level to that Bills offense that they were missing last year. And Josh Allen doesn't have to do as much because of that. And that will only help them in the long run. But yeah, so I mean, that's our that's our NFL recap. We try to pick out the good games. Of course, Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football, and the Chiefs and all that. But there's another sports league going on right now, and that's the NBA. They're starting their preseason. They kick off their season on December 22nd, and there's just been a lot of cool preseason action to look at so far. So looking at some of that, of course, after what was the longest year in NBA history with the bubble and the pandemic, obviously, Lakers winning the chip. No big deal. Um, Okay. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, so the NBA preseason's back, and my favorite thing right now in the NBA, John Wall and Boogie Cousins in Houston. Regardless if James Harden is going to be there this season or not, it's good to see John Wall back on a basketball court. And 
playing with Boogie, of course, they played at Kentucky together. I saw the highlights from their first game, and just that John Wall drive and kick to Boogie on the arc for the three-pointers. I hope that happens all season because that might be my favorite play in the NBA this year. It just looks so good. It looks awesome. I mean, you've been a Wizards guy off and on. What do you, what do you think about John Wall being back on the court? Well, yeah, Wizard. I mean, I'm always a LeBron fan first, but the Wizards have always been my you know number one NBA team. Um, it was definitely sad to see him leave, uh, get traded, but it was definitely past due. Um, he was just obviously he was hurt for the last two years, but yeah, like you said. I've been wanting to see John Wall and Boogie. They've been trying to make it happen for a while now. I'm finally, I'm glad that they finally have done it in Houston. Like you said, depending on whether Harden leaves or not, but um, I think it's definitely going to resurrect his career a little bit. And hopefully they are, you know, at least on the verge of a playoff team without Harden. If they have Harden, obviously there'll be a playoff team, but yeah, I'm excited. And that's the biggest thing you mentioned that like it was past due for him to get out of Washington, which is true at this point. He hadn't played in two years, and it's like how long can your star be here and not be on the court for that much money? Exactly. Like he was, he was getting his bag and not even playing basketball. That's just that's the difference to me between the NBA and the NFL. Where in the NFL, like you got a guy, and if he's your guy, you're going to build around him and try and build around him for a decade, a decade plus, depending at the position. Obviously, the quarterback, you're going to try and build around him as long as you can. The NBA is like, it's got to be like pro AAU. Guys are going places to team up. Markets mean something, but not as much. If you can hook up with this guy in this market, let's go do it. If they have the money to get us here and get us together. I don't know. The Rockets are definitely in flux after all the changes that they've made and with Harden wanting out. It's going to be weird. Just as I, I like John Wall. He's an awesome point guard. I'm happy to see him back on the court and doing his thing. But, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit already. Harden really seems to want out of Houston. And I don't know where he goes. I mean, there's been rumors that he wants to go to the Nets. I don't think that works for a second, so I don't nope. think that's viable. He wants to – Philly maybe. There's been talks about even the Bucks potentially. Where could you see a good landing spot for him being? Yeah, Brooklyn is for sure a no-go. I think – this Brooklyn team right now, how they have Kyrie and KD, but they also have so many young stars. The way that they were able to keep them, I mean, they got Spencer Dinwiddie, and then they have Jared Allen. Karis uh, LeVert. Yeah, Karis LeVert. Um, I mean, they have they have a lot of depth. Uh, and so I think if you put Harden in there, you're going to have to get away all – you're going to have to trade away all that depth and some picks. And then also you have Kyrie, KD, and James Harden. So, I mean, who's going to get the ball? I mean, they all want the ball. If it was just Harden and KD, I could definitely see that. But you put Kyrie into the mix, that's just not going to happen. Um, but, yeah, Philly – so the thing with Philly is apparently they would have to trade either Ben Simmons or Embiid. And I think if – the Sixers want to be the best team. They would definitely have to trade Simmons, in my opinion. Harden and Embiid, I think, would be a good fit uh, because, obviously, he could get his rebounds after every Harden miss that he has <laughs> once every two shots. But other than that, I don't really know where else he would be able to go. And I don't know. I think his contract is – they signed him max a couple years back. Who, Embiid? Or no, um, Harden. 
I I have no idea, honestly. He's getting paid a lot. He still has yeah. two years and a player option on his deal, which is like the biggest enticing thing. But, but of course, Philly has uh, the Rockets' old GM. So yeah, so I mean that's like a good sign, and I think honestly Harden and Embiid could work well together. And if the flip is Simmons plus some picks and another piece for Harden, if you're Philly, you gotta at least consider it because. Mm-hmm. I don't think people would argue that James Harden is a top five player in the NBA at this point. But like you said with the Nets, he's a ball-dominant top five player. So So is Kyrie. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Kyrie's ball-dominant. And KD can or cannot be ball-dominant. I mean, he's a 30-point-per-game scorer when he gets the ball. So, obviously, you want to get him his touches. We saw him on the Warriors, and he still fit in well, even though he wasn't ball as ball-dominant as he was on the Thunder. So, obviously, he could work with yeah. Harden but yeah I just don't see Kyrie yeah, absolutely I just I was talking about it earlier with um with Kevin our our graphics guy he's gonna be our graphics guy for top of the hill and we were just talking like that's why Harden and Russell Westbrook just ultimately was never going to work because for Russ to be efficient he needs 40 touches a night for Harden to do what he does he needs to touch the ball pretty much every possession all possession yeah so that was just obviously never going to work. And I don't know. I think Harden, it's cool. It's awesome that he's a great scorer and he's like a, an assassin almost. I don't know if his style of play will ever lead to a championship. No. And that sucks for him. But if he's able to, not even a big step, but take a small step back and just be a key piece with another key guy that their, their play styles mesh well together – they could make some noise. They could do some things. I don't think there's anybody in the league that Harden is scared to go up against, which is a great thing. And, of course, like you're going to say, well, no NBA player is scared to go up against another NBA player. Harden is fearless. I think he showed that in the playoffs. I think he's going to go out and try to get his every night. And the biggest knock on him throughout his career is that he doesn't play defense. And I think that – it does he play a lot of defense now? No. But I think he's he, improved. he plays defense when it, counts when it counts and when it matters, and I think that's a big deal. But, um, yeah, just talking about, like, top five players, of course, Giannis today agreeing to his Supermax deal and signing it to stay with the Bucks for five years. He's going to get $228 over that five years. And I guess just the biggest question is, will the Bucks be able to compete for an NBA Finals championship in those five years? So, I mean, obviously he – I think the East is definitely the better way to go right now with all the star power that is in the West or the more star power that's in the West. Uh, the Lakers are obviously, you know, they're going to be the favorite to win the championship again. But I don't know if I like this. It's just – it's it's hard for me to say that, yes, the Bucks will be able to compete just because now we've seen it two years in a row where Giannis has played MVP ball and they've ran through the regular season. Then when you get to the playoffs, I think things get a little tighter, defense gets a little tougher, and – Chris Middleton, don't get me wrong, he's a good player. I don't know if he's a good enough second guy to help propel when Giannis isn't playing like an all-star. He definitely improved this season, Middleton did. Uh, I was kind of shocked how the Bucks paid him so much. But he definitely, uh, he definitely, you know, stepped into that second-man role in the Bucks. But I just don't see the Bucks getting out of the East and making it to the championship. Giannis is a great player, but like you said, defense gets tougher in the playoffs. And I think teams realize that if we stop Giannis, we stop the Bucks. So it's like, yeah, you can have your fun in the regular season, but once you get to the postseason, 
all we have to do is double team you, put a couple guys in the paint. He's still he's improving his three point shooting, but he's still not there yet. And you know, you stop Giannis, you stop the Bucks. So yeah, absolutely. And of course, the Celtics are only going to keep getting better. The Heat went to the finals last year, and they didn't really lose any pieces. Did are they able to win an NBA Finals? I don't know if I can tell you yes, but how we talked about Harden and how he's not scared of anybody, the Heat are not scared to face anybody. I mean, you saw it just in the postseason. They ran through the postseason. I mean, they played against TJ Warren, the bubble hero in the first round, made quick work of him, took down the Bucks in the second round, no big deal, took down the Celtics, and then they just kind of ran out of gas and got hurt and went up against truly what was just a better opponent in LeBron and AD. So I don't know. I don't, I don't think that – the Bucks maybe compete for a championship. Loyalty is definitely a big deal to Giannis, and that probably has something to do with why he signed this deal. And who knows? Maybe not this year, but maybe in the next offseason, a bigger piece goes there. I mean, there's also been rumors of Harden wanting to go there. So if you could swap some guys for Harden and put a lights-out shooter like Harden with Giannis, a, a rim runner, a, a shot blocker, stuff like that, maybe that works. Who knows? I yeah. don't know. Yeah, and, I could definitely see Harden and Giannis. I think they would be actually a really good fit. So, I mean, that story's not written yet, obviously. We're going to have to watch and see during this season. And the biggest thing is I think Giannis is probably the hungriest guy in the NBA to get to the mm -hmm. finals now because he's done everything else. It's like he, MJ. Yeah, I mean, he just wants to get there. You talk about, yeah, MJ back before he could get to the finals. That's all he wanted. Yeah, he wanted to get to the yeah. finals. A guy that's playing for MJ now, um, biggest deal in the draft, LaMelo Ball, and he's been awesome so far. His passing has been awesome so far. I mean, he came in, he was probably one of the most hyped prospects in recent memory just because he was the son of an – I'm sorry, the <laughs> brother of an NBA player, the son of LeVar Ball, obviously. Yeah. What are, what are his expectations, I guess? I mean, he's definitely got big expectations, but obviously, you know, Charlotte is just not a good team at all. And like you said, his passing has been brilliant. Everyone knew that. His rebounding has been really good. But his shooting is just – I know in the first game, I think he went 0 for 5, 0 for 6. And then the last game, he went 3 for 10, I believe. And, I mean, that's been the biggest thing between him and Lonzo. You know, they, they both can't really shoot that well. That was my biggest thing on LaMelo. That's why I wasn't – I mean, obviously he was high – and he's a great prospect, and if he can fix that shooting, he's going to be a brilliant player. But if you actually look at his stats overseas, his shooting was terrible. I mean, I think he was shooting 24% from three and I think under 40% overall, which is just terrible for a guard. So if he fixes that, he's going to be a great player. I think he's going to be better than Lonzo for sure, um, but I don't see him – any more than I don't even know if he wins rookie of the year at this point but if he fix like I said if he fixes his shooting that conversation could change yeah and I mean you just talked about his play overseas and like the biggest takeaway from that was that he was going to get to work on his playmaking and just kind of run the show because he was LaMelo Ball and those were just overseas guys like of course they were big deals over there but he came over from just decided not to go to college to go play overseas and I think you see that now, that that did help his game in the playmaking sense a lot. But you can't teach shooting. you got to practice shooting. So, And in the NBA, if you're not a great shooter, you don't make it very far. And you don't have a great shooter. How long can your career last? 
I think it's going to be a good place for him to start out, at least here in Charlotte, where the bright lights aren't going to be on him all the time. He's going to get to decide when the bright lights are on him. I don't know. I think he's probably the rookie that's going to be able to be the most exciting. He kind of has that that Zion like atmosphere so. around him. Where, but you saw last year. I mean, Zion didn't play that much. Obviously, was was injured a little bit and didn't play that many games. But John Morant stole the show, and John Morant is exciting. And just talking about John Morant, I mean, if you've seen any of his highlights from so far in the preseason, he might be the fastest player in the NBA right now. And I mean, that used to be John Wall, but obviously, it's not John Wall anymore. Yeah, he was. He's lightning quick, and that buzzer beater he hit was amazing. It just sucks that that's another team that I mean they're on the come up, but they're still just not there yet. And they play in the West, where I mean the West is just loaded with talent right now. So it's it's going to be really hard to make that eighth, eighth or seventh seed. But you never know. John Morant, I mean, he had a great rookie year. He's only going to get better from here on out. And they have other players like um, what's his name, Jaron Jackson. Jackson, Jr. yeah, yeah, Triple J, and that. And the point you made about, like, they don't really have a lot of talent outside of Ja or Jaron. I mean, they have guys, but that's the biggest problem in the NBA is if we're in this team and we don't have the pieces to win a championship in three years, it could blow up at any time. So I don't know. I think that they have a good culture in Memphis and that the, the guys like each other. But if it doesn't lead to winning, how soon do you just leave it alone until it blows up? How long do the guys want to stay there? when they could go somewhere and compete for a championship with some other guys on, on other teams. And I don't know. I, I'm really excited for this NBA season. I think it's going to be awesome. I think the Lakers are going to be good. I think – I don't know what to expect of the Clippers. I think the Nuggets are, of course, going to be really good. The Rockets are kind of in disarray. The Suns are going to be the team to watch for, like, being on the come up, of course. I mean, the bubble heroes, They I think they went – what was it, 8-0 in the, in the mm-hmm. games that they had in the bubble – and then, still didn't make playoffs. yeah, they still couldn't make the playoffs, but now they have Devin Booker. I mean, DeAndre Ayton's going to be back for another year. Getting Chris Paul, Paul in the offseason, that's going to be a big deal. And it's so weird because I think when Chris Paul got to the Thunder, people were kind of just starting to be like, he's washed, like this is the back half of his career. I think he resurrected himself in OKC. I think he took, I mean, he took them to the playoffs. They made it as far as they did. I mean, obviously took the Rockets to seven games. Not only that, I think he also just – obviously, Chris Paul is on the floor. He makes everyone around him better. But those young guys in OKC, I mean, he just – I think that was so big, having a guy like – a leader and a player like Chris Paul there. So I think he's only going to make the Suns that much better with all the young guys that they have. And they have – you know, they just have – they have a lot of young talent. And then, of course, you have – Devin Booker, who has always been a great player, but just doesn't have that great of a team around him. But, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Absolutely. And, of course, I mean, I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention the number 10 pick in the draft, Jalen Smith, another Terp out of yes, Maryland. Um, I think he's going to come in, and he'll be a nice complimentary piece to both Aiton and Booker and Chris Paul's style of plays, the way that he's able to run the pick and roll and step out and shoot the three. So, I mean, a lot of things to be excited about down in the desert. And just for this NBA season in general, of course, you're probably not going to see a lot of the stars early in December, maybe not in early January, just because of the quick turnaround from last season to this season. 
But I think by the time you get to, to May and to June, even March and April, it's going to be the NBA that we know and love and the NBA that we missed when it, when it got shut down back in March. So, yeah, a lot of things to be excited about there. So that was our, our NFL, our NBA recap of the week. Let's get into – we have a lot of cool segments that we thought up and we created, so let's get right into that. Our first segment we're going to do is called High Floor, Low Ceiling slash Low Floor, High Ceiling. And, I mean, this is a term that you'll hear a lot, like, in, in fantasy football. If a guy has a high floor, I mean, you can count on him to get, let's say it's 10 points every week. If he has a low ceiling, that means that you can count on him to get his 10 points, but he's probably not going to get you 30 points. He's probably going to get you, like, 15 points. And then low floor, high ceiling is kind of the opposite of that. He might get three points that week, and that might be his floor. His floor might be three points. Or he could get 30 points, and that would be his ceiling. And that's just kind of how that works. So it might make more sense once I give you my first one. My high floor, low ceiling guy for the season so far is David Montgomery, the running back for the Chicago Bears. And, I mean, I can speak to this one personally. He's on my fantasy team. I can't trust him worth a damn. Like, I mean, he gets his points, don't get me wrong, and he's been tearing it up in recent weeks. But the week I'll go to put him in my lineup, he'll get three points. And I just mean, like, he is having a great season. He's a top 10 running back in fantasy football, according to ESPN fantasy football this year. But it's just, I would rather have a guy I can trust to get me a 20, 20 point game, a consistently 15 point game. But Montgomery's he's that guy that's going to get you your 10 points, but he's not going to get you 30 points. And that that's good in its own right. But it's just like, he, if he's supposed to be your guy in Chicago's offense, and you can't count on him to have his game where he might go off for 150 yards and a couple of scores, a couple of catches, 50 yards receiving. He's trustworthy. He's not a star. So in the other turn of that sense, my low floor, high ceiling is Tyler Lockett, um, number one, arguably number one receiver for the Seattle Seahawks. But I think you could make a case they don't have a true number one. They have a bunch of guys that could be the number one every week, just, of course, with DK Metcalf and the other guys they have there. Lockett's had his games this year where he's had 150-plus yards, a couple of scores. He's also had his games where he gets three catches and 30 yards receiving. So it's just like in the M- – I'm sorry, not the NBA. In the NFL, the biggest thing they preach is, like, consistency. And it's just what, what kind of level of consistency can you get out of that guy? If you can get 100 yards rushing every week, you'll take it. But if he, you know he's not going to find the end zone, like – how long can he be your guy? And that's just kind of the basis of what this segment is. And so, yeah, so just with all that there, Tyler, who's your high floor guy? Your, your low ceiling, your high floor guy. So my high floor, low ceiling is Cole Beasley, the wide receiver for the Bills. He – so obviously he's the number two to uh, Stephon Diggs there because Stephon Diggs is having an amazing season, top three. But Cole Beasley, it's like you don't really – you don't expect him to get you more than 10. A lot of weeks, he's just not going against good matchups or whatever. But because Stefan Diggs being the number one, sometimes they're double covering him. Uh, Cole Beasley just, he'll pop off. I think he's had a couple, I, th- I think he's had at least four games over 20 points a season. But then again, it's like, you, you also aren't, you can't be mad when he only gets you eight points or something like that. And then my low floor, high ceiling is Ezekiel Elliott, the running back for the Cowboys. And I checked last night, and I was really surprised. He's still a, he's still the number five running back in fantasy football, which I was so surprised about because he has had 
probably five games this year under 10 points, which is just insane to think about when you're talking about Ezekiel Elliott. But you also have to think about their line hasn't been good this year. And also they have a lot of injuries and also lost a player last year. But you also can't not start him because he could always have that game where he just drops 25. So it's like, what do you do? He's either going to drop 25 or five points this year. But, yeah, so that's my low floor high ceiling guy. And obviously, if you don't play fantasy football or you don't even follow it, this segment probably just made zero sense to you. (laughs) Um, Probably more for our fantasy guys. But the reason that I included it as a segment is because floors and ceilings for players like that have kind of become really interesting to me this year. And I kind of have used that approach with my fantasy football team, and it worked. So I, I think it's a legitimate thing. Like, if I can count on this guy to get me 10 points every week, I'll take it. If I can throw this guy in my lineup when I might need a big play and he, I need a 30-point game, that could be the guy. He could get me three points and I might be unhappy. But if he gets 30 points and I win, it's it's a good week. So, I mean, that's just kind of that. Um, we have some other segments. Let's move straight into it. It's called In Case You Missed It. And this one, I have no idea when it's from, when it originally started. I missed it until I saw it. I actually saw it on a TikTok video this week. And it's from Texas A&M Baseball. And it's after a four-pitch walk. The crowd will instantly start chanting, ball five, ball five, ball five, and so on. And they'll try and rattle the opposing pitcher, and it works. And just the clip I saw, he threw the fifth ball, and then they started chanting, ball six. He threw the sixth ball, and then he started chanting ball seventh, and he threw another straight ball. So, I mean, he finally got it right and threw a strike after that. But to me, that's just one of the most intimidating, like, chants a crowd can do in sports. And I sent it to you, Tyler. What did, what did you think about it? My first take on it was, yeah, that was awesome. But it's also, like, I really miss fans. I mean, fans make up for – co- for college sports, at least, fans are one of the most important aspects of the game. They just make a huge difference, and obviously in that game, I mean, maybe, yeah, he throws four consecutive balls like he did in that game, but I think the crowd getting to him into a young, you know, sports player's mind, that just really messes him up, and that's what caused him to throw that many balls, and you just got to miss it this year because of COVID, and it just sucks, but, you know, the vaccine's coming out, so hopefully we'll get fans back. And, I mean, obviously, I mean, no player's ever going to say, yeah, the crowd just got to me there. Like, you're supposed to be able to shut the crowd out and kind of just get away from it. But how much can a person shut out and take? And that was literally the entire stadium yelling at this one guy in his general direction. And so, I mean, you saw it in in the video clip, and I'm sure it's happened other times to other pitchers and on other teams. It's just I thought it was awesome. I thought it was the perfect in case you missed it for this week. Yeah, I mean, we got one more segment here, and then we're going to get into our college roundup before we wrap up the show. And this one's called Trending Up and Trending Down. And it's kind of just like, I mean, you know what power rankings are. I mean, you rank all the teams in the NFL, who's one, who's 32. There's there's teams that trend up, there's teams that trend down. So just getting right into it, my team that's trending up, and I think it's a lot of, a lot of people's teams that's trending up, is, of course, the Washington football team. Do they have a great quarterback right now? I mean, they have Alex Smith, who's a serviceable quarterback. I don't think anyone would rush to call him a great quarterback. But the real highlight with them is their defense, and I think that's exactly why they're trending up. They have a good front seven. Their secondary has been playing lights out lately. And they're playing in that NFC East division where they're one of the top dogs in that division right now. So they can make the playoffs. And the biggest thing in the playoffs is defense and a running game. I mean, they have Antonio Gibson. I'm pretty sure he was hurt in their last matchup. But 
if you have a defense in a running game, you're going to have a shot to compete in any game you play. So that's why they're my trending up. Who's your trending up? Yeah, so I tried to think long and hard about a different team, but I also picked the same team, Washington football team. And like you said, their front seven is just, I mean, and they're all young guys too. And they followed the exact same strategy that the 49ers did. It was just like every every NFL draft every year, it was first round pick was a defensive lineman. And you see what it what they created. And that also just improves their secondary, even though they have a, you know, good, a couple of good corners, young corners, but that defensive line just makes their, you know, their defensive secondary just so much better. Their offense has a long way to go before they're a, a beatable team in the playoffs. Um, Alex Smith is a, he's a good quarterback, but obviously it's just hard when he was out for two years with that broken leg. But yeah, that's my trending up team as well. And, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be excited with, of course, with the Washington football team. And you made the point about drafting D linemen. I think you could make the comparison to what Nick Bosa was when he came in for the 49ers to what Chase Young has been this year for the Washington football team. Just exciting edge guys that are a presence. Chase Young is awesome to watch. I mean, if you saw the clip when he, when he backed off in coverage and then he closed out on the quarterback, I mean, that was just awesome. So I think – that with Ron Rivera there, that they've got a good core, a good nucleus going forward. If they can get some good pieces in the spots where they need good pieces, this could be a, a perennial contender for the playoffs in that NFC East division. Moving along to my trending down, and of course this one's kind of obvious at this point in the season, is the New England Patriots. And of course that was to be expected. I mean, they broke up the marriage, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady this year. Tom, of course, going to Tampa Bay. But there was a point where it looked like they were kind of putting something together and they could sneak into the playoff picture. They were in the playoff picture for a little bit now. I think they're 6-7 and seven after their loss to the Rams. So probably not going to make the playoffs this year for the first time in who knows how long. But, I mean, Cam, he came in and everybody was like, the Patriots did it, Cam Newton. And he just hasn't been even a shell of what he was when he spent his time in Carolina. I mean, I think he has five passing touchdowns this year. I read a stat last week that he did that three separate times in 2015, five passing touchdowns in a game. Only two to receivers, I believe, as well. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, and Bill Belichick came out and said it at some point this season that they sold, they basically sold the farm to win some championships, and it worked. They won their rings. But now you're kind of seeing the repercussions of that, and I just don't know what the future for the Patriots will look like in the immediate future, probably like the next – three to five years it could be it could be really weird we could see like a four and t- four and 12 season two and 14 something like that I don't think that's out of the question of course this year they had a lot of defenders opt out and stuff so that team wasn't isn't anywhere close to what it was a year ago so I mean it makes sense that they're having their struggles but that's why I think they're trending down and who's your trending down in the week so Watching the Ravens-Browns game on Monday night, I put the Ravens in there, and then all of a sudden Lamar Jackson came out of the uh, tunnel. So I had to change that real quick because if the Ravens lost that game, I didn't see them really making the playoffs. I mean, because like you said earlier in the, in the uh, podcast, that they probably have to win out to make the playoffs. So if they lost that game last night, uh, things were just going downhill for them, especially after losing – I think they started out the season five and one, and so they would have lost two of their last five. Uh, they would have been two and five in their last seven games if they lost uh, Monday night. But 
I eventually put the New York Giants. It's kind of hard for me to put this because their defense. I love their defense. Bradbury is having an all-pro year, I think. Uh, he doesn't get the attention that he deserves because he's on the Giants and they're, they only have five wins. But they really just sold the bag, in my opinion, against the Cardinals. They, Like I said, they only scored seven points, which is just pathetic, in my opinion. And Daniel Jones, he shows, he shows that he could be a great quarterback sometimes. But then – and all of a sudden, you know, he has three great passes where it's like this is an NFL quarterback. And then the very next play, there's a pick six or, he, you know, he just <laughs> holds the ball for 10 seconds and – gets strip sacked. So it's like, I don't know. I think they can be a good team in the future, but right now I just, I don't see them making the playoffs even in that crappy division. So yeah, that's my trending down. Yeah. And I mean, and you put the note in here that they, they lost the division lead and that's what's so terrible maybe for them to be trending down right now is the fact that Washington is trending up. So if Washington wins next week and the Giants drop another one, you could just see it get that much harder to get back in the playoff picture because, of course, nobody in the NFC East is going to get a wild card spot. There's too many good teams in the rest of the NFC. So, I mean, it really just comes down to this division, that number four seed. And the Giants, they do have a good defense. Bradbury's been playing well. Logan Ryan's been another standout guy. Jabril Peppers in New yep. York? Yeah, he's been he playing. Had a great game. He's been playing really so. well. So I just – if you're a New York fan, things to be excited about. It sucks because you were leading the division and you were kind of like Sorry, Trace. the team that was um, going to like look to make the playoffs and it's probably going to be these guys and then Washington's hitting their stride at the right time, of course, taking down the Steelers, the undefeated at the time Steelers. Three straight wins now too. Yeah, so, I mean, the Giants, they won four straight and then they're kind of back to hitting that wall that they hit. I like your trending up, trending down. Nice little divisional beef there. And like yeah. you said, shout out Trace Carlton, confused <laughs> Giants fan. Best of luck to you with the rest of this season. But, yeah, so those were the segments we have for today. We're going to finish up with a college roundup, um, a lot of college football, college basketball action to get into. So, yeah, let's let's just get it started right away. Getting into the college roundup, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't start with college football. State of Florida took a hit when it comes to college football last week. Florida and Miami both dropped big games, games that they – Probably thought they were going to win going into it. Florida, of course, losing to LSU, who has been nothing like the LSU championship team that we saw just last season. Florida was one of those teams that was itching to get into the playoff, and they were talking about if they beat Alabama, how do you leave them out of the playoff? I don't see any way that they make the playoff now after dropping that game to LSU. And, of course, Miami was ranked 10th, and they were playing UNC, and UNC just beat up on them like they were a Division three football team. So, of course, I mean, that sucks if you're a fan of the Gators or a fan of the Hurricanes. Kevin. <laughs> but I just think that's um, how college football goes. And if you want to be one of the top four, got to live it out and play the whole season pretty much perfect if your name's not Alabama or Clemson at this point. So, yeah, well, I mean, do you have any takeaways from either of those games? Yeah, obviously Florida, they have Trask, who is uh, the Heisman leader of course right now but he I think he threw two or three interceptions and like you said LSU is not that same team obviously they had basically their whole team go into the NFL on both sides of the ball so they're just not a good team this year but to lose to LSU when you have a shot at making the college football playoffs which is very hard to make that's just inexcusable to me and then Miami honestly so coming into the season my 
So obviously Clemson was my number one pick for the ACC because you can't pick them, cannot can't not pick them. But UNC was my number two pick. I thought they were gonna have to play Clemson in the ACC championship. They dropped a couple games early on, I believe, or in the middle of the season. But um, I actually saw them. I bet on UNC to beat Miami because I just didn't trust Miami enough. I don't know their quarterback situation is just. I don't know. I, don't, I can't trust him. And UNC is, has a great coach, and they're just a great team overall, I think. And they have a lot of young guys. So I think they're going to be a force to reckon with in the near future. And But, yeah, like I said, Florida, just inexcusable. Staying in the state of North Carolina, Coach K announced that Duke would be canceling the rest of their non-conference schedule to allow his players to spend some time with their family before the holidays. There was only one game left on their non-conference schedule, and it was against Gardner-Webb. So I think this has more to do with the fact that Duke is just not the Duke team of past years more than it does to let the guys spend time with their family. I mean, they lost to Michigan State and lost to Illinois. You win those games, I don't see why you would cancel the Gardner-Webb game. Of course, with the state of the COVID-19 pandemic, like things are weird, and basketball is weird. I mean, Cameron Indoor, when they played Illinois with no fans, top five weirdest things I've ever seen in my life. I think it was so quiet and you're just used to that place being loud all the time. But I just think it's, I just think as a Maryland fan, of course, I hate Duke. You have to, it's kind of just in the bloodline. I just think it's funny to see them cancel that game because like to make the announcement, like you're like, Oh, they'll probably cancel five or six games. Like that makes sense. Like let the guys go home. It was one game. So, I mean, coach K let's call it what it is, I guess. Yeah, and you brought up a great point with uh, how it was just a weird game to watch without the fans because going into the NBA bubble for the playoffs, I know everyone else along with myself thought that it was just going to be so weird watching without any, you know, backup noise and, you know, the crowd cheering on and stuff. But honestly, you couldn't even tell that big of a difference with the NBA. College, it's a lot different because if you watch any college basketball game, Everyone knows that those fans are so important, especially when whenever you see a team upset a top 25 ranked team, their fans are just going nuts the whole game. And, you know, free throws, I mean, obviously every free throw the for the away team, the home team, team's crowd is just going nuts and doing crazy stuff. You always see videos of them, you know, lifting their shirts up and trying to distract the free throw shooter. So... Yeah, it's going to be very weird watching college basketball season without fans. It's definitely going to affect their games. Yeah, for sure. And again, Maryland would be remiss if I didn't talk about how deep the Big Ten was this year. Even if Maryland's not going to be one of the top dogs, and I don't think that they will be just because they did lose their guy in Anthony Cowan Jr. They did lose Jalen Smith to the NBA. They're going to be serviceable. They're going to win their games. They're going to lose their games. I don't think they're going to be one of the top dogs because I think the top dogs are Iowa, Illinois, and Michigan State this year. More so Iowa and Illinois than even Michigan State. I mean, Michigan State just year in, year out is one of the one of the top dogs in the Big Ten. Iowa and Luca Garza, they're for real. They can beat anybody. They beat UNC last week, I believe it was. And then Illinois is probably the deepest team in college basketball this year. They have They have a lot of good players. They have a lot of guys that can step up and make big plays when they need it. I mean, they're ranked really high right now, and for good reason. They could win the Big Ten and make noise in the tournament whenever it happens. 
I think it's going to be a really exciting year for conference basketball in the Big Ten. And then just moving back to college football as we end our roundup, the conference championship games have been, all been announced now. And the one that at the bottom that I probably was not even going to tune into because it's not one of the bigger leagues, Pac-12 was supposed to be Washington and USC, but Washington did not meet the minimum player requirements due to a COVID outbreak. And so now Oregon's going to get to play USC. I think that'll be a good game. Oregon has a good squad. USC has a good squad. Really cool jerseys. That's a big deal to you if it is or if it isn't. That's awesome. But looking at these other uh, college championships, Alabama and Florida, I think Florida, after dropping that game to LSU, I mean, of course they're going to come out and they're going to play hard against Alabama. I think Alabama's once again this year, like in a class of their own. Mac Jones playing out of his mind. Their receiving core, Devonta Smith, does it all. He's going to be a great NFL player one day. So I just I think Alabama probably wins that game and keeps their spot up at the top of the playoff list. Yeah, I don't even think it's going to be close. Alabama's going to destroy Florida. Honestly, I think this game for Florida is going to be more of what can Trask do against that defense because that's what a lot of NFL teams are going to be looking at. Because obviously Alabama, you know, their defensive – obviously their, their um, defensive line – Usually most of them get drafted every single year, and then their DBs and linebackers are just insane as well. So if he has a good game, then I think he's going to have a very bright future in the NFL. If not, you know, we'll see where it goes. But depending on how he does in this game, I think it really affect his draft stock. And then, yeah, and moving along to the Big Ten game, Ohio State's going to play Northwestern. Of course, there was all the, the hubbub with that because Ohio State didn't play enough games or whatever it was because, I mean, they had games get canceled due to COVID, and that's not their fault. And this is my view on it. Say what you want. Ohio State is one of the best four teams in college football year in and year out, and I think that's obvious this year with Justin Fields and the rest of the guys that they have around them. I think – leaving them out of the conference championship game would have been a travesty. So it's good that they're going to get to play. So long as nothing crazy happens, they should win that game and they should go on to the, the college football playoff. And I don't know, they lost to Clemson last year. I think when you get to the college football playoffs, you really are seeing the four best teams in the nation play. So it can go either way. Ohio State, I got to watch them play that game against Indiana. Where, I mean, Indiana did come back on them a little bit, but, I mean, it was never really in question for Ohio State because they are just that good. And, I mean, not to take anything away from North, Northwestern, they have a good team too. I mean, they whooped up on Maryland at the beginning of the season, 43-3, to and Maryland wasn't competitive for even a minute of that game. They have a good team. They don't have an Ohio State-level good team in my mind. And then moving along probably to what is probably the matchup you're looking forward to the most, Clemson and Notre Dame. Of course, Notre Dame winning their first matchup in double OT without Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is probably going to be back for this one, barring anything weird happening. What do you think happens in this one? So, yeah, I was – so the thing is, I love Trevor Lawrence. I, I'm a Clemson fan anyway, but Trevor Lawrence is just amazing. He's probably going to get number one overall. Um, but even though he was out that game, I don't even think that was the reason they lost. Because their their uh, freshman quarterback, he just played an amazing game, and but they were also missing a couple defense key defense defensive players. I think four total, so I think that really made a big impact. Um, I think it would be another close game, but I see Clemson winning it by six or seven. 
Um, but I think Notre Dame, Notre Dame surprised a lot of people, including myself this year. And they can really, they can put it against some top teams. So we'll see how that goes. But I think that, especially with having Trevor Lawrence, I think he just gives that defense, you know, a boost because it's Trevor Lawrence. So I see Clemson winning it, but it's a tight game. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And it's funny, the point you made about Notre Dame is, of course, playing in the ACC this year because of just the state of the world with COVID and all playing in, like, the conference schedule or whatever. I don't think a lot of people really thought they were going to come in and do what they've done in the ACC. They've been awesome. They've been really good. I think they're a solid team. I don't think anyone's taking them lightly. But I think Clemson's out for revenge at this point to prove that they belong in the playoff. Even if Notre Dame does end up making the playoff, I think Clemson wants to prove that we're the we're the top dog in the ACC. So, I mean, that's those are the three like really big games. Of course, the last one being Oklahoma and Iowa State. Iowa State's in the top 10. If they win that game, do they have any shot at making the playoff? Iowa State and Oklahoma. I mean, I just don't nah. I personally just don't see it because they've played good, they've won games. I haven't heard much at all about Iowa State this year. Yeah, so here's the thing. Alabama's going to make it. Ohio State's going to make it. And if Clemson wins against Notre Dame and it's a really close game, I think it's going to be Clemson, Notre Dame, in the, you know, edging out the top four. So I don't even think Ohio State makes, has a chance. But if Notre Dame does beat Clemson, Clemson's knocked out, obviously. So maybe there is room, but, I mean, only time will tell. But, yeah, if Clemson beats Notre Dame, I don't see how they can – push Notre Dame out of the top four only because they beat Clemson the first time. So I think for Notre Dame to not make the final four, I think Clemson would have to absolutely obliterate them. But yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and that just kind of gets into the problem with the college football playoff is that it's just the top four. And you and I were talking earlier this week, of course, I mean, everybody has their ideas for making it better or making it worse. I mean, the top, the top eight's been discussed, the top 16, I think there's a formula for the top eight where it could work better and you could get less people being upset with the results. And just to me, I think that would be to use the top eight. And if you win your conference, if you win your conference and you win your conference championship, you're going to get one of those top eight spots. I know that's not how the polls work. I know it is what it is. But then you let the three best teams that are left in. And I don't know. It could work. Why not give it a shot? Nobody thought the college football playoff would work when they started it back however many years ago that was. 2014. Yeah, I was still in high school. So, I don't know. There's no right or wrong answer. It's not like the NFL where it's just a league and you have a consistent way to make the playoffs or not. There's so many teams in college football. But I do think you want to get your best teams in there, and I do think they've done a good job of that using the playoff before. But I also think that there's been good teams that could maybe beat some of these other good teams that have been left out. So, I mean – Yeah, and when you and I were talking about it, I thought it was a great idea because you have teams like – uh, UCF, I think it was a couple years back where they hadn't lost a game in two and a half years, but you know they didn't make it higher than the number 10, I believe. And then you have a team like BYU this year who's playing out of their minds, and they're not even going to make it to the top 10. So it's like, at least give those teams a chance. You know, even if they're going to get destroyed, you know, playing Alabama or something like that, at least give them the respect that they well, deserve. And yeah, and that's like the biggest thing about why this playoff might work that way because like Coastal, for example, they, they're undefeated. They haven't lost a game yet this year. That's what I meant to say, Coastal. Instead of BYU. Yeah. yeah, no worries. But um, let them make the playoff. Let them be number eight and go play Alabama. 
If they beat Alabama, all right, they deserve to be here. Yeah. They're supposed to be here. More than likely, Alabama's not going to lose that game, and they're going to win that game in blowout fashion. So that's just like – that's the and that's the biggest argument that like these teams are like, we just want a shot. We just want a shot to win it. That would be, to me, what your best shot is, playing Alabama. Because regardless if Alabama loses one game or two games in a year, I think you can make the argument year in and year out that they deserve to be in the playoff and that they're probably – the top dog pretty much unless somebody comes along and beats them. Like Clemson has been able to beat them in the past, obviously, but Clemson's also one of the it's Clemson and Alabama are the top two been in college football for the last half decade, decade going on now. So, I mean, yeah, that's our, that's our college roundup. We're about to wrap up the show. We got one more thing to do and that's going to be the top of the hill take. And the best way to describe the top of the hill take is just pretty much the hottest take you could think of, at that point in the week. And so just getting into mine, this is the best that the Kansas city chiefs will ever be this season. I think you see the regression after this season. This is my personal opinion. Of course, like you have the argument, guys are going to have to start getting paid because like they're, they're on their contracts. Mahomes got paid and what pieces can you continue to put around them? The chiefs are awesome this year. You can't pick against them. Somebody somewhere along the way is going to figure out a good way to be able to stop them or slow them down and beat them. Is that this year? I don't think so. Going into next year with a full training camp, with a full year to prepare. I think the Chiefs are going to be contenders for the next decade with Patrick Mahomes. I think they're going to be contenders for as long as Patrick Mahomes is running the show back there. I don't think it's going to be as cut and dry as it's been this year and maybe last year. So that's my top of the hill take of the week. What's yours, Tyler? Mine, and this is going to make a lot of people mad probably, but I think that the Cleveland Browns actually win at least one game in the playoffs. And if you look, obviously they lost us or uh, Monday night against the Ravens, but their their running game is just absurd. You know they have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt back there, which is going to be huge in the playoffs. If if you can take over with that run game, I mean who knows how far it could take them. But obviously this is if they make the playoffs, this is going to be the first time making playoffs in like I believe since two thousand three. I think is the year that I saw, but so it's like, how do you, and not the, not only to mention that I think last night or on Monday night, they said that they were the only team in the NFL to not have a offensive starter over the, over the age of 30 years old, which is just insane to think about because they're so young, but I think that they win at least one game. The playoffs have been extended to seven teams in each conference this year. So I think – I don't know. I just think that they win at least one game. I think Baker's been playing the best he's ever played in his career, NFL career so far. So I think they ride that to at least one win in the playoffs. Yeah, and, I mean, one good thing that you got to say about the Browns is it looks like they found their guy as their head coach. Yeah, for sure. I think Stefanski has been doing very well, regardless of their record. Of course, they have a winning record right now. They're headed towards the postseason. I think he's the right guy to pair with Baker. I think they have a good offense. I think they have a good team around him. And this is what the Browns were supposed to be when they took Baker as a rookie and number one overall. And I don't know, of course, like Ravens fans don't like the Browns. The Browns, are, they can be annoying. They can be a little, little obnoxious sometimes. Cleveland's gone through it for how long? Yeah. It's the changing of the guard, and it would be cool to see the Browns at least be a competent team yeah. for a while now. So, yeah, I mean, that's our show this week. It was the first one. Of course, it had a hic- had its hiccups. Look, right there was a hiccup. 
But, I mean, I had a lot of fun. I hope Tyler had a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, for sure. Talked about sports, talked about it all. Um, we're going to look to do this weekly. So, yeah, tune in. Top of the hill. Logan Hill, Tyler Kirk. Peace. That's all we got.